You're listening to Take a Look with Brooke, Episode 5. We're all walking home. We're not there yet, but we're finding our way back. It's a long run and we've got a long view. But when we fix our eyes on God, we're not going to quit. He is the surest and safest way. So let's take a look at our faith and the way forward. Together, we'll see that it's worth it. There's just something about people's last words. In the Bible, I love learning and reading about what people have spoken in their life, but also at the end of their life. I mean, think about it. At the end of your life, you could say anything you want. What are you going to say? Who are you going to talk to? And what do you want to tell them? I titled today's episode, Making Every Effort, because that's what one of the phrases a guy named Peter left for us. I'm going to walk us through part of what he wrote, but first I want to give us a little bit more context. I also want to share some helpful tips to consider when reading the Bible. It doesn't have to be intimidating. Sometimes I think we have this idea that it should be easy, but like any class we took in college or any textbook that we read, we learn that that's not really the case. I'm telling you though, it's worth it. So I'm going to walk us through 2 Peter chapter 1 verses 1 through 11. When reading the Bible or each book, it's important to answer a few questions so we can gain an appropriate perspective, so we can get context. This helps us approach the text intentionally and also not blindly, and it even helps us position ourselves rightly to receive what we're about to read, because the Bible is ultimately about God. Here are five questions to ask. We want to know who wrote it, when was it written, who was it written to, or who's the audience, and then in what style? I guess that's only four questions. But learning the answers to these, they can likely be found in your Bible. They're at the beginning or a preface to each book. Basically, there's usually a page that offers a timeline, a little background, a message or purpose before the book actually begins. And so for today, who wrote it? It's Peter. We know that he considered himself to be a servant, follower, and representative of Christ. Now, when was it written? I always love answering this one because it gives you so much information. The one date you always want to remember, especially when reading the New Testament, is 33 AD. It's when Christ was crucified on the cross, his resurrection and ascension happened. Knowing this date helps us frame what's happening. So 2 Peter was written in 67 AD. This was written roughly 30 years after the death of Christ. And then we know that 70 AD, that's also an important date to remember, that's when the Romans destroyed the temple in Jerusalem. So who was it written to? That means the people he's writing to are only 30 years into their faith. This is the first generation of Christians. We also know that it's during Nero's reign. He was an evil and cruel emperor of Rome. We know that Peter's first letter was to encourage them to stand firm in the midst of persecution. Today, I'm sharing part of his second letter. He knew that his death was near, and so he wrote to the believers, urging them to make every effort to grow in the knowledge and practice of their Christian faith. Now, what style is it written? You've heard me say it a few times now, but it's a letter. Knowing the style of what is written can help us so much with interpretation. So today's is a letter, but in the future or whatever you're reading right now, 
Consider, is it a historical narrative? Is it retelling factual events? These are books like Ruth or the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and even Acts. Is it a parable? Is it storytelling that's intended to teach a lesson? It could be law. These are guidelines usually found in the Old Testament in Genesis through Deuteronomy. There's poetry. This is a use of symbolism or metaphors. These are found a lot in Psalms. And then there's wisdom literature. This is probably one of my favorites. It's language that communicates principles that are generally true, although not universal. These are books like Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. There's prophecy. This is similar to poetry, but they use a lot of symbolic language. Think about the books of Daniel, Ezekiel, or Revelation. All right, so now that we've got some context, now that we've learned some ways that we can get clarity on text we're reading that helps us with interpretation, let's jump into today's passage. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1-11 through 11. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith equal to ours through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. By these, he has given us very great and precious promises, so that through them you may share in the divine nature, escaping the corruption that is in this world because of evil desire. For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness, goodness with knowledge, knowledge with self-control self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The person who lacks these things is blind and short-sighted and has forgotten the cleansing from his past sins. Therefore, brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. Because if you do these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, entry into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be richly provided for you. When I first read this passage, I loved the reminder that God has given us all that is required for life. That is just good news. Part of God's character, one of his attributes, is that he is self-existent and self-sufficient. He has life in and of himself, so he doesn't need anyone or anything to exist. And yet he gives life to everyone and everything. He lacks nothing, he is independent, and if he's not dependent on anything, then as creator of everything and all that is created is dependent on him. To put it simply, God creates and God sustains. He is uncreated and creates all things, and he has no needs, but he supplies all needs. And then I love knowing that through him, I can escape the corruption of this world. Our world and we as humans are really struggling right now because of our own evil desires. Because we try to take on the role of creator, following our own thoughts and ways and ideas. May we follow his way, look to his understanding and not our own. And I admit too, I was instantly attracted to the list of virtues. I have a thing for list. I quickly thought of how great a blog post it would be to share seven ways we can supplement our faith and grow. How we can make the effort. That is right up my alley. But the closer I looked at this passage, the more I read it, the more I studied, the more I learned. Growing our faith doesn't mean do more. 
And those seven virtues I'm going to share about soon are not the heart of what this message is about. Peter begins with faith. The faith spoken about here is the dependence on the blood and righteousness of Jesus Christ. This is the gospel. This is the ultimate truth. Charles Spurgeon said, May that be called precious faith, which is the symbol of our election, the evidence of our calling, the root of all our graces, the channel of communion, the weapon of prevalence, the shield of safety, the substance of hope, the evidence of eternity, the guardian of immortality, and the passport of glory. Man, I wish I could have written that myself. It's so beautiful. For those of you who don't know, Spurgeon was a popular British pastor in the 19th century. He was an incredible thinker and theologian, and I've learned so much from him and his writings. So having received this gift of faith, we are given very great and precious promises. We become participants in his divine nature. We're called to glory and virtue. I consider this nothing less than a total privilege, and I hope you do too. We begin our life with God, with faith. We make every effort because we have his power and promises. We work in partnership with him to progress our faith. And Peter gives us a list of these biblical virtues. But here's the key thought. Here's what I want you to keep in mind. They're not a legalistic code, but they are evidence of a transformed life. So let's take a look at these seven virtues. The first is goodness. The Greek word here is arate. It's a concept referring to moral excellence. Two, knowledge. It's not just information. The Greek word gnosis refers to knowledge of the Lord. It's having understanding or insight of heavenly revelation. It's being a learner and a student of the word and growing in your personal knowledge and relationship with him. Number three, self-control. The Greek word here is inkronte. It means to hold oneself together. When I read this, I can't help but think, get it together, Brooke, inkronte. (laughs) But it means to be gripped or controlled from within. Its reference is associated with an athlete who says no to certain foods and yes to certain training because he wants to win the race. Four, perseverance. Hupomene. It means to bear up under trial and hardship or difficult circumstances. Five, godliness. Usebaya. It's characterized by a Godward attitude. It's reverence and respect. Number six, brotherly kindness. The Greek word here is Philadelphia. It's translated to having a family love for the members of the body of Christ. And finally, love, agape. This love does not depend on the world's criteria for love. It's the unconditional, sacrificial, and fatherly love of God for humans. Because of our fallen nature, we are incapable of this true kind of love. However, God is love, and as image bearers of Him, we can show love and concern for the spiritual welfare of others. Now, If I were to only focus on all the virtues or even pick one to pursue and make every effort, I'd miss the point entirely. My efforts would be in vain. We cannot grow in these virtues apart from God. It's just not going to happen. All our good things do not come from us. Remember, faith is not of ourselves. It's a gift from God. And so that's why the heart of this message here is to lean into his divine power and his promises. We work from this power and these promises, and when we do, these virtues become evident and they confirm something deeper. They become an indication that we truly know Jesus. So if we want to grow in these qualities, we must first have faith, and then all of these virtues, in a way, are a result of faith. I think that's why faith is listed first and love is listed last. Nothing in this world will ever create virtue like true faith. And as we participate in this in increasing measure, it will keep us from being ineffective in our spiritual life. 
It tells us we are prevented from stumbling. And if we lack these things, it's evidence we're unable to see God. Therefore, we must all the more make the effort to confirm our calling that is our faith, our salvation. Spurgeon again says, You shall never find true faith unattended by true godliness. On the other hand, you shall never discover a true holy life which has not for its root and foundation a living faith upon the righteousness of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's review. What are we making the effort to do? Grow our faith. What does it look like to make every effort? To supplement our faith with goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. Why are we doing this? Why are we making the effort? Because we have received divine power and precious promises. This is what spurs us on. To live for him, everything you and I need today is already ours. We've got the access to his power. We don't have to muster up the strength to live this life and run this race on our own. One action step we can take is to begin looking for these qualities of God in our life. How has he been good to you? What are ways you can demonstrate moral excellence in your life? When is a time you can remember a new insight or a deeper understanding was revealed to you about who he is and what he does? Are you choosing to be a learner of the word? Can you recall a time or maybe it's a current discipline you have now that demonstrates self-control? What was happening in your life when perseverance was necessary? Godliness, is there respect and reverence towards him? How willing are you to be honest with yourself and with him? How has God shown his love and kindness and care towards you? Who are you demonstrating love and kindness and care towards? Sometimes I think the real question we have to ask is how willing are we to grow and change? If we are 100% willing, if we are 100% don't want to be the same person, we want to be new. And I say new because Christ didn't come to make all things better. He came to make all things new. If we want that, then we're going to make the effort. We can make the decision to pursue our faith. In the moment, we aren't always going to make the right decision because we aren't always motivated to make the right decision. But we can make this decision to start now. A very simple, real-world example here is the want to get healthy and exercise. It's very possible to wake up each morning and ask yourself, do I have the motivation today to get up and work out? If we choose this strategy, it's not always going to work. Because you're going to wake up and think chai tea and cinnamon rolls and watching The Great British Breakup on Friday morning. Motivation isn't the best way to change your life. What do you do then? You make up your mind ahead of time. You make the decision to say, I'm going to wake up every day, Monday through Friday at 6 a.m. and I'm going to work out. So when you wake up Thursday or Friday and you don't feel like it, it doesn't matter because you've already made the decision ahead of time. You don't give yourself the opportunity to compromise or fail because you've defined the rule and you've lived by it. And so when you do, it replaces motivation, something that's not really dependable with something that's more stable, which is discipline and consistency. Discipline and consistency is huge. That's one way we can be strong in every area of our life. We can't wait for feelings and motivations to get there. You're better than that. You're wise. And you tell yourself, I'm going to do this even though sometimes I don't want to. Let's translate this to the virtues and everything we've been going over. He is faithful to us, but we still have the responsibility to show up. So here's to showing up. Here's to looking to Jesus. This isn't a sprint. It's a marathon. It takes endurance. We've got a long run and we've got a long view. It's going to take effort, but it's worth it. And we're going to train. We have the living and active word of God to train us. 
and he's provided for us to become partakers of the divine nature. And these particular character qualities, may they be evident in our lives. Here's to making every effort. Thanks for listening to episode five. I hope today was a kind reminder that the things we do outwardly reflect our inner assurance of faith. His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness. If you haven't already, would you leave a review on Apple Podcasts? It will help others find the show. Thanks so much to the Grey Havens for their song, Not Home Yet. And finally, subscribe to receive my monthly notes or read the blog and see show notes for each episode at brookwegan.com. Let's keep the faith, friends. Onward.